All right, let's take our Bibles, and uh, if you need an outline there, wave your hand, and Andrew will bring you a copy, I guess, and hopefully he'll do that. Uh, James chapter 1, and uh, we're going to try to get uh, a little more scripture here, and I do ask that you would uh, pray as I'm trying to assimilate knowledge every time I think I've gotten some uh, a, a good store, I find something else, and everything is a little different this way and that, and and uh, it's very hard to arrange some of it, but uh, um, as, as we're going through here, we're first studying what the Bible says, and we've, we cannot find one verse in the Bible where being alcohol, or being under the influence of alcohol is biblically permissible or asked for or said that it is excusable. Uh, as we went through and double-checked our work, we were just made sure. And then we have to be careful, and this has a bearing on our later lessons, that we do not treat drunkenness or alcohol use as one of the major sins and other sins are lesser, it's a sin. It's simply that. It should be shunned as any other sin is. It's uh, the tendency that most people have had in one of the great mistakes of the temperance movement, uh, the same of the abolitionist uh, uh, before and, and during the Civil War, was slavery became the only sin. During the temperance movement, alcohol, drunkenness, or uh, became the only sin that they wanted to deal with. And, and um, even in our modern day, we have those that are uh, so against abortion that it is the only sin they deal with. I, I met a preacher one time. He said, listen, he said, I only have one issue. It's the King James Bible. He said, I don't care what else they do, what else they believe, as long as they're right about that, they're okay by me. And I said, it's kind of wide, isn't it? Shouldn't we have... Well, make a long story short and I'll give too many sore details. I hope he's still in jail. Uh, that preacher for other things that he permitted in his life that the Bible said were totally... You cannot be a one-issue person. Uh, the Bible tells us we must take the whole counsel of God. We must spend our time in, in the Word. And tonight we just want to review, and, and again, a lot of this is, uh, as we review it, I say, wow, okay, preacher, this is nothing exciting. This is nothing new. I mean, this is something. But I've looked through many of the temperance books and things that were written even back to the 1840s. I have a whole collection of e-books that I've been reading through on the subject. And I haven't found one that's addressed this verse when it comes to the issue of temperance. And this is where we're going to start is James chapter 1 and verse 17. It says... Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, as you know, context is huge. 
And, and we need to put this verse in its context. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, let's go back to verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, and lust when it hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The next verse talks about the salvation that God gives us. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. And it, and it just goes on and, and culminates in verse 27 about pure and undefiled, um, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Of course, the simple question is, the overall passage, does not the pattern of sin given to us in verses 14 through 16 describe the pattern of alcohol use leading to addiction and destruction? Uh, every man is uh, uh, tempted uh, when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Everybody thinks they can handle this thing. And lust brings forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Um, again, I'm looking to collate it. I got a, um, a, a whole sheet of statistics there. In 2014, the entire beverage, I mean, no, yes, 2014, the entire beverage industry in the United States was $321 billion. Now, that is everything from bottled water to uh, alcoholic beverages. The alcohol makes up 60% of that total. $221 billion in the United States. And that statistic is from the liquor industry themselves. If you go on the CDC, Center of Disease Control website, they will tell us in 2011 that the abuse of alcohol cost $249 billion to the U.S. economy. Do you get that? In 2011, we exceeded the entire revenue from selling alcoholic beverages by $28 billion. You know, if we had that money, how far could we go to paying off the national debt? <laughs> and some of these other things uh, that they talk about, and, it, it, you know, and 
Well, anyway, I'm, I'm running amok here, but here's the verse, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift. Now, when we talk about something good, we need to let the Bible define good. Jesus defined good. If we have his definition, then, then we ought to be able to rely on that better than any dictionary. Amen. And uh, the story is the rich young ruler. He said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What was Jesus' answer? Why callest thou me good? There is none good, none good but one, God. And the entire Bible backs that up. That all goodness, and what's the other one? Every perfect gift. Well, the source of goodness and the source of perfection is God. So are we going to say that, and I even read a thing the other day uh, as I was reading through the material, that God put all of that sugar in fruit and therefore God designed to make alcohol. Uh, and, And that is the best, you take that kind of reasoning and you're just sitting there going, I've, I've heard that kind of reasoning used in many, many things. Um, but it's not good. It's not honest. It tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Well, then, what about on here, on the level between us and, human, and other human beings? If something good happens on the horizontal, it's only because we received it from the vertical first. Hello? Are you following me on that? You see, the ultimate lie of the devil is that I, as a human being, can do something good. Correct? I mean, that's where all sin starts from. Eve was going to do something good. She was going to elevate her position from the servant, from lesser than a God, to becoming just like God. I mean, the devil was at least that honest. You're not going to become smarter than God. Eve would have saw through that in a second. But to become wise like God, wow, that, that is an improvement. That, that is doing something good. Was it good? No. And, and we tend to look to ourselves to do something good. The Bible says if it's good, if it's a good gift, if it's a perfect gift, it's not from here. It's from there. And it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. What did John say? In him was light. I mean, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Everything God does tendeth to life. Everything man does tends to death. Sin, when it is finished, 
bringeth forth death. Do we need to spend time talking about, uh, I think, in the United States uh, in 2017, 80? Or, no, I'm messing up my statistic. I'm sorry. In New York State, from, 20, from 2003 to 2013, 88,000 people were killed in alcohol-related deaths in 10 years in New York. Sitting there going, okay, do we need any more proof that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death? You see, if it were a good gift... It would be a perfect gift. Now, people will go on. Let's, let's give them their, their little reasoning. Uh, I've often used the phrase, you can dig your grave with your fork, right? Uh, does that mean food is evil? That we shouldn't partake of any... If you'd listen to some of these health nuts, and uh, the only thing you could eat is a handful of raw grain a day and, and you'll live to be 110. I don't want to live to be 110. Uh, I, I'd, uh, what did Jesus say? I, came to, I have come to give you what? Life, and that life more abundantly. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen? God has meant for us to have a joyous and a happy, a fulfilling, a satisfying life. Most of you can remember that grew up unsaved and without the Lord, you can remember a time when alcohol had a part in your life. How much satisfaction did you get? How much fulfillment did you receive compared to headaches and heartaches and all of the other things that are uh, attached to that. And so, as we look here, the only source of something good is God. And I asked the question in the outline, who but God has the ability and the storeroom to make such a promise? We can't make that promise to other human beings. I mean, I, I promised my wife that I would be uh, as good a husband, uh, be a good husband all these years, almost 30 years. And, uh, but I, I will tell you, if it was good, it was because I got it from God first. Not because I got it from me. Isn't that not the essence of the Christian life? And so, as we look at what the Bible teaches, how can we put alcohol and classify it as good? Perfect. A gift from God. I'll tell you what, you can't do it. There's too much sin and too much suffering attached to it. Now, it tells us that in Him is light... And in him is no darkness at all. Here's one of the lies that the world often uses. I'm going to give you something, but be careful. Don't overuse it. Now, you know what? You can overuse anything. You can get too much Bible. How many of you have heard that lie? No, you can use the Bible as an excuse for your foolishness and sin... 
But you can't get too much Bible if you're obeying it. Amen? You can't get too much church if you have the right kind of church. Amen? You can't get too much goodness if it comes from God. You can take anything that God has given us, and this is the devil's greatest tool, and abuse it. That's why the homosexual and sodomite crowd want marriage. It was a gift that God gave between men, one man, and one woman, one life. Amen? That's the biblical intention. But the world wants to pervert it, just like they have everything else. You know what? If you talk about pure grape juice, if we're going to deal with wine, since it's the, the thing, how many of you have ever drank too much grape juice or too much apple cider? Uh, it can do things to you that's not good if you drink it in vast quantities, especially on an empty stomach. Uh, apple cider is famous. And, and, uh, and I'm not talking about alcohol. I'm just talking about the plain juice. It, it can upset you in your digestive tract. And don't go home and try it to figure that out. It, trust me, it works. Uh, and, uh, but the same way you can eat too many eggs or too much I don't care how good the roast is. You can get too much of it. You can, but in and of itself, fresh juice or preserved juice will not hurt your body. It's healthy. It's good for you. And yet, the funny thing is, no one can truly define how much alcohol is permissible for everyone. You know what? The rules don't work. Some people, it's one drink. Some people, it's two or three. And the, even the Center for Disease Control, and I found a new organization. Uh, well, they're not really new, but it's the National Institute for Alcohol uh, abused or something like that. I downloaded a 70-page pamphlet on how they're going to stop alcohol abuse. And they're still trying to figure out what triggers alcoholism. They don't know. And the Bible's real clear. It's drinking it. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out now, does it? But you see, if you go on the basis that alcohol is good and it's healthful and you need to handle it carefully, you're going to end up where they are trying to figure out what causes alcoholism. Because everybody's got a different tolerance. And it's good to leave it alone. Amen? You see... In him is no darkness. God's not going to give you something that will destroy you. He will only give you something that will build you and will help you. Good? Perfect. 
If it's not good, if it's not perfect, it's not from God. And you say, but, but we have problems with things. Oh yeah, man takes everything that God gives and he perverts it, but God is not variable. I mean, do you know what a variable rheostat is? Uh, you use them all the time. How many of you have something that turns up and lowers the heat in your house? Well, that's basically what that is. A tuner on a radio is a variable rheostat. It changes the frequency. Okay, God does not change. Once you're tuned in to God, you don't need anything else. You see, He is the solution, not the problem. People want to say, well... Religion is the problem of our world today, and I'd say we need to put an adjective in there. False religion is the root of every problem in our society today. But true religion is the answer to every problem that we face. Amen? And it says, neither shadow of turning. How many of you remember the old days with the maps where you had to get out a map and actually look it up and uh, today you plug it into your phone and that little voice comes out of there and tells you where to go and turn here and turn here and and I get frustrated because when we were in Phoenix that little voice said turn left here I know we don't need to turn left here turn left here and it took me in a big circle just to come back around where I wanted to go in the first place. So shut that thing off. How many of you have ever been going down the road and you say, that exit ought to be coming up. I, I think I passed it. You know, sometimes God makes us wait. Sometimes he sends us in directions that we don't think we ought to go in. But the Bible says here, there's no shadow of turning with God. We need to trust Him. If you want to know an example of shadow of turning, read the story of Balaam. God told Balaam not to go. So Balaam said, I can't go. They came back richer and bigger guys. and uh, God, should I go with them this time? Did you change your mind? And you know what? Sometimes God just gives you what you want. Go. But Balaam's end was not a good one, was it? We read about him in the book of Jude and other places in the Bible. But here's what we're trying to do. You see, man claims... As we're dealing with the issue of alcohol, alcoholic beverage here, and wine is the main one in the Bible, the, uh, the brewing of beers and things, though they were known to the Egyptians, was not known to the Hebrews. And if, if this was something that God really wanted them to do, they certainly could have brought the recipes. They were there in Egypt. We found them in the tombs with the... Uh, the grains and all of the things, the recipes that, that they actually made their beverages with. Why didn't the Jewish people bring it with them? Because God didn't want them to. Amen? 
It wasn't part of their thing and of their worship of God. And we want to understand that you can use anything for evil. The Bible talks about those that wrestle the Scriptures to their own destruction. That's why you can't be a one-issue person. You've got to be a Bible Christian. Amen? But how can we take... I love the quote that Brother Clayton gave. We were in Florida years ago, and he said, I can't go to Bush Gardens. He said, I can't walk in that place because it was built by the Bush family. He says, every brick screams with the little children that have gone hungry because their moms and dads bought Augie Bush's beer. And I'm sitting there going, that's kind of an emotional plea, but uh, I'll tell you what, it gets the point across, does it not? How can you say something like that is good and perfect? That it came from God when it's simply an invention by man and it is responsible for more debauchery. Half of the sales of alcoholic beverage in the United States, according to this chart, According to the alcohol beverage industry, it's beer, 49%. And so, we, we need to understand some things here. If it comes from God, it's good. Because it's measured by the standard of God. If it's perfect, it comes from God. If it's got a booby trap attached to it, it didn't come from God. He doesn't tempt us. He doesn't give us things. He doesn't say one thing today and change his mind. He doesn't even give us a shadow of turning. All we have to do is trust and follow in him. This verse alone should solve the issue. But it doesn't. Not in many people's minds, but if you are a person of faith, and you you shouldn't need anything more than this, but... Let's go to Proverbs chapter 31, because everybody loves to go here. And they'll, they'll, they say, you see, the Bible says it's okay to drink. It's good to drink. So, let's just read the verses. Verse 6 and 7 of Proverbs 31. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. And uh, every time I read that passage, I, I think of a, a famous commentary on the passage, and he quotes some rabbi as saying, there are seven cups of consolation uh, to be given to the mourners at, at the funeral. If they gave you seven cups of wine at the funeral, you wouldn't be able to walk home. Uh, uh, unless you had a very high resistance to this stuff, uh, it's ridiculous. Let's get the context. The wor- verse 1, The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him, What my son, and what the son of my womb, and what the son of my vows? Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor 
for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. Open thy mouth for the dumb, in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Then verse 10 begins, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price as far above rubies? And it goes on. And many times the book of Proverbs is a collection of unrelated things. Proverbs 31 is not. Most people believe that Lemuel is Solomon and that his mother Bathsheba was trying to give him wisdom. And, uh, and, and she gives him a list of prohibitions and commands for the king. Number one, give not thy strength unto women. A prohibition against all immoral behavior. You see, when you're the king, you cannot compromise yourself and remain an honest and true king. Does not our present news media bear that out as they are willing to sacrifice every human being known to mankind, every important person to them, so they can get President Trump on some type of immoral behavior? Uh, that's what's going on right now. And uh, we... We uh, do not know, but more immoral behavior is wrong. The, his mother says, don't give your strength. Don't take... Does that mean you shouldn't allow your wife to help you make decisions in the mayoral mansion? Oh, excuse me, I shouldn't have brought that up. How many of you have heard that story? Uh, we now have a co-mayor, uh, Mrs. de Blasio. Uh, she actually has chosen several of the highest level political appointees, and uh, all of these things. And he's mad because some voters in New York City said, we didn't elect your wife, we elected you. And, uh, oh, it's you know, just, give not thy strength unto women. Boy, it's just there, is it not? And it's reflected every day. And then he says, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. And the chief way which destroys kings is to drink wine or strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the affliction. There is a prohibition of any type of substance that will uh, cloud your judgment. And then it says, give wine to him that is ready to perish, and I mean strong drink and wine to them that be of heavy hearts. Now, let me ask a question here. If you are saved and you are serving the King of Kings, when are you ready to perish? When have you given up all hope? 
I mean, saved people can put themselves in a situation, as King Saul certainly did, but that's not supposed to be. Amen? Here's the context. It's not talking about actually giving alcohol to someone and letting them forget their poverty because the thing that they don't under uh, the thing that the, whoever makes that statement doesn't take into in, into uh, consideration is what is one of the leading causes of poverty in the United States? Uh, the purchase of alcoholic beverage. So either this passage is devoid of all wisdom. Or it's giving us, again, a hypothetical situation. Hey, when you've lost all hope and you have nothing to look forward to in life, you might as well die drunk. Uh, But as a servant of the Lord God, do you ever have an excuse of putting yourself there? Absolutely not. These are the ways that destroy kings. King, don't ever get there. There's no need for it. How are you supposed to stay true? Well, you're supposed to open your mouth uh, for the dumb and the cause of all such as are appointed unto destruction. Those that cannot answer for themselves. Those that are being manipulated by the, uh, the quote-unquote wise men of this world are taken advantage of. The king is supposed to judge things. He's supposed to judge righteously. He's supposed to take care of the poor and needy. And guess what? The greatest gain that the king can have is a virtuous wife. And see, now the whole chapter just falls right into line, doesn't it? You know, it's, it's very much like the passages that people go to to prove that God wants you to speak in tongues. You go to the very same passage understand it in context, and it's telling you, never speak in tongues. Uh, Same with the Calvinist. Every passage they go to, to show that Jesus only died for those that are elect, not for the whole world, prove that Jesus died for everyone. You see, we cannot subjugate the Word of God to the reasoning and understanding of man, we've got to keep it in the context of the Scripture. And the Scripture talks about the blessings of wine and the evils of wine. Now, how can it be talking about the same substance? In fact, I read an interesting article. I'd like to find it again and quote it for you. It was written by a Methodist preacher, and he was complaining about the unworthiness of our King James translation that only used one word for wine when there were all of these words, uh, 20-some different words in the Greek and the Hebrew that were used for wine, and then he proceeded to take the one Hebrew word and give it five different definitions. Do you follow the reasoning on that? Uh, It's because there is none. (laughs) We have all kinds of words that have many definitions, do we not? We have general words. Wine is one of those generic words that refers to anything that came, the juice of fruit. 
That's, that's all it is. Like the word car. How many different kinds of cars are there? In fact, our 15-passenger van is considered a car by the state of New York. And that's a good thing, because if it weren't, we'd have to pay double tolls when we go across. It's not a commercial vehicle. It's considered a passenger car. And uh, so, here is the simplicity in this. This is not a uh, command to give people wine so they can get drunk and forget their poverty when buying the stuff is what causes poverty. That's nonsense. It's talking about that which destroys kings. And king, this is what his mother was telling you will never be in a position where you have no hope and where you have a heavy heart if your faith and trust is in God. Amen? If you're opening your mouth the way that you should, if you're judging righteously, if you find that wife that is, uh, whose price is above rubies, if you find those things, you never have to worry about this. Amen? And so they take it out of context and put it in. Let's go to Deuteronomy. I'm going to try to finish these other two passages quickly here. Deuteronomy chapter 14. Now, you'll have to find someone that really wants to drink alcohol awful bad to go to Deuteronomy chapter 14. But they, they do, some of them. And uh, we're going to start in verse 22. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there, the tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thine oil, and of the firstlings of thy herds, and of thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. So this is talking about tithing in the end of every year, the end of the harvest, the feast that we call Pentecost today. This was the end of harvest feast. They were supposed to bring the tithes into the city of Jerusalem. And so there was a sacrifice. And any time there's a sacrifice in the Bible, you, you gave your sin sacrifices, but, and you did not partake of those. But when you had thanksgiving sacrifices and free will offerings and peace offerings, there was a portion of that offering that was reserved for the offerer. And it was supposed to be a time of joy. And I could spend the whole night on when there's true biblical sacrifice, there's always true biblical joy in feasting. You cannot sacrifice to God that he will not give you Greater than you gave him. Amen. Uh, if you know that to be true, could you just say amen to that? And, and so, as uh, the command is given, and let's look at verse 24. It says, And if the way be too long for thee, so that thou art not able to carry it, or if the place be too far from thee, which the Lord thy God shall choose to set his name there, when the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, then thou shalt turn it into money, and bind it up, Bind up the money in thy hand, and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, 
for oxen, or for sheep, or for wine, or for strong drink, or for whatsoever thy soul desireth, that thou shalt eat thereof before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice thou and thine household. And the Levite that is within thy gates, thou shalt not forsake him, for he hath no part nor inheritance with thee. And then it goes on to give the tithing at the end of the three years, and that tithing uh, every third year was to be reserved to feed the poor and the Levites in the area. It was to be kept there at the house and, and offered to uh, strangers, and it was to be a store to give people um, that, that came. And here the verse says that if the way was too far or... Uh, your your uh, harvest was too great to bring. You were to sell it, turn it into money, and bring the money to Jerusalem is where the temple was set up. And there you can buy whatsoever your soul lusteth after. So it's great. We're going to have a big party. We're going to get schnockered. And, and no, that's not what the Bible talks about. You can't get drunk on oxen. Those were sacrifices that were offered. You were only given a, a small part of that when you offered that as a sacrifice. What was the main part of the tithes to be used for? To feed the priest and the Levites and those that took care of the temple. Uh, by the way, this was a yearly tithe, so I have a question. How in the world did you harvest the grapes, press the juice, and ferment it in a month, 50 days, less than two months, and take it to Jerusalem? Um, and if alcoholic wine was such a great way to preserve it, then everybody, I mean, that was the big lie that was early in this country's history in the days of the pioneers, you couldn't store the corn, but you could sure make whiskey out of it. And that's what everybody did there for a while. Uh, not everyone, of course, but uh, the, the truth of the matter is, this was supposed to be your tithe and offering to the Lord. There's no way you can get fermented wine there. And the word strong drink just simply means that. Sometimes it's talking about alcohol. Other times it's just talking about undiluted. I remember what my mom used to do. She used to get orange juice. You remember the, the, um, uh, the little cans of orange juice, uh, the frozen pulp in there, and she'd open that thing up, and, and somehow she'd get a whole pitcher of orange juice out of one of those things. I said, Mom, why does this taste so bad? And she said, it's good. Now just drink it and be quiet. Well, a little older, I got to read the thing on the can. And it said, to reconstitute orange juice, add one can of water. If you want to make orange drink, add five cans of water. Well, I think my mom would put six or seven in because uh, we like to... to uh, uh, drink two or three glasses apiece, and, and uh, she made it last. But strong drink would be one-to-one. One. Hello? Yes, that's all there is. Yeah, there's other references when strong drink is definitely talking about alcohol. 
But if you had to grow enough wheat to feed your family for a year, how much wheat would you have to grow? If you had to raise enough grapes to keep your family in grape juice for a year, I mean, that, that would be crazy. I mean, when I go to the, uh, the wholesale club, I'm getting a case of apple juice and a, a case of cranberry juice every two weeks. And, and uh, it always disappears before I go back for some reason. Uh, how in the world would you raise that many apples and that many grapes or whatever? I mean, you'd have to have a huge place. And so, why wouldn't you rejoice when you were celebrating the tithe with pure, undiluted juice versus what you would normally do just so you could afford to live and make your stock stretch? All year. Is that, is that difficult for anybody to grasp? Or we, we got that. I mean, most of us do the same thing, do we not? We want to stretch some things. We, and, and that's all that this is talking about here. And, and we go to 1 Timothy 5.23 where Paul says, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake. And thine often infirmity. We're not comparing water to fermented alcoholic beverage, if we just read this, all that sugar that's in the grape juice, you know what it's good for when it gets in your system? Is giving all that natural bacteria, the flora and fauna of your digestive tract, something to feed on and grow and, and be healthy. If you, own, if you never take in anything that's going to help those things. And by the way, what is the first thing when you have ulcers, uh, colitis, uh, uh, diverticulitis, any of those kinds of... What's the first thing the doctor says? No coffee, no alcohol, nothing that's going to irritate. So this would not make medical sense either, now would it? But if you took a little grape juice once in a while, it'd do you some good. It would help out all of those things, a natural probiotic. Now, people say, you're just reinterpreting the Bible because you believe that alcohol is evil. Uh, no, I'm not reinterpreting the Bible. I'm just giving you what the Bible says in the light of all of the evils that are attached to alcohol. How in the world can I take all the evils that are attached to alcohol use and alcohol abuse and tell you honestly as a preacher of God that the problem is not uh, the alcohol, the problem is how much you drink? I wouldn't tell you that with gossip, now would I? Well, a little gossip, is as long as you can control the gossip, it's okay. Uh, as long as you have the adultery under control, everything is fine. I mean, that makes nonsense now, doesn't it? And so does moderate alcohol use. You see, the Bible is very clear. Every good gift comes from God. Every perfect gift comes from God. Your salvation is one of those things, is it not? How about this book here called the Bible? 
How about the organization and the fellowship we can share in the church? Can human nature mess those things up? Oh, you better believe it can. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. By the way, that's another one of those great gifts. Is God's perfect patience with us to forgive us and clean us and still let us be his servants. Amen? And we need to walk with him. We need to be his servants. And we need to stay away from the unclean, the dirty things of this world. And all God's people said, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, we ask this. We go through this that you would help us understand some of these things. And Lord, that we would serve you. And Lord, that we would apply this to other things that we face. Not only the issue of alcohol, but uh, of so many uh, of the escapes and different things that people use to just run away from reality. Lord, help us to take that solemn warning that was given to Solomon. We never need to be controlled by a heavy heart. And we never need to be ready to perish. Because you are our hope and you are our deliverer. Lord, encourage us in your word. That we may be your servants in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish our prayers.